Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please follow us and feel free to share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. Have thoughts on what we should cover in a future episode? Let us know on Twitter at, at Cisco champion. All right, folks, today we are going to talk about Cisco AI enhanced radio resource management and how it can help unlock unused network capacity and increase operational efficiency in your network. To help unpack what this all means, we have three phenomenal hosts and a very special guest with us today. So without further ado, we're going to get into introductions. Are we ready? Yeah. Chittle, let's start with you. Who are you? What do you do? My name is Kjetil Teigen Hansen. I live in Norway, as so you probably can hear. I work in at Concha, a Cisco Gold Partner. I'm a system engineer, and I primarily work with wireless. So I also do some part-time wireless consultant work. And my hobby is wireless. Awesome. Mike, you're up next. Yeah, hey, I'm Mike Blytho. I'm a wireless engineer for Common Spirit Health, which is a national healthcare system here in the United States. All right. Richard, who are you? I'm Richard Atkin. I work for a gold partner in the UK called ITGL, and uh, I'm a solution architect. And I spend my days uh, designing and installing and fixing uh, Cisco wireless networks and DNA centers and IC and all that sort of good stuff for all sorts of customers all over the UK. Excellent. So we have a lot of wireless experts with us, passionate wireless experts. Okay, Jim, welcome to the podcast. We're happy to have you. What is your area of expertise um, and what is your role here at Cisco? Okay. Uh, well, I am Jim Florwick. Um, mm -hmm. My role at Cisco is a technical lead for essentially the wireless TME team uh, in enterprise networking side. Uh, and I have been involved in wireless since before we had Wi-Fi. Uh, dived away from it for a little while, but I'm a radio guy. Uh, and then came to Cisco with, uh, with a product called Clean Air. Um, I was working for a small company that produced that product. Uh, and uh, since I've been at Cisco, RRM and spectral matters have been my life. Jim, are you in the wireless history books? Uh, no, no. Oh. I, uh, if, <laughs> if I was, my picture would be right next to my associate, Fred. Ah, yes, Fred. Niehaus, yes. Yes, we all know Fred. Everybody loves Fred. All right. Okay, so before the champs kick off the conversation, um, can you give us a little bit more background on what we're talking about today? What is AIRRM? AI enhanced RRM, uh, from our perspective, is uh, is the culmination, uh, well, in the beginning of a new chapter, but the culmination of a long-time dream. Uh, and radio resource management, of course, has been around since the first controller-based uh, wireless systems became commercially practical for for large businesses when security became uh, important and, and having a coordinated system became important. Um, AI portion of this, uh, of course, everybody's got to have AI or ML and a name for everything now, but this truly does. It takes the, the RRM decisions uh, and the data, the rich amounts of data that we generate with RRM uh, off platform so that it can be stored, greater data uh, capacities can be reviewed, uh, and I think a whole lot better solutions to, uh, to an end user still just looks like RRM. 
Uh, so there's really nothing to configure other where you're pointing it. So Jim, let's kind of start off with um, what kind of problems is AI RRM trying to solve that we saw in regular old RRM? So a lot of people um, don't know this and, and RRM, uh, Cisco's RRM implementation has always relied on neighbor messaging. Um, so this is propagated over the air. So we get a real good RF distance uh, on all of the assets that we're trying to manage. And then on the controller itself, uh, we've got RF distance from every AP and how it hears every other AP. Um, so it's a big set of data. That runs every 10 minutes. Um, RRM is not like a, a super, super critical resource on a wireless network. 10 minutes is a long time in wireless, right? But it is, it is uh, important to monitor changes. Some of the challenges have been people don't want changes to happen during the daytime, right? Uh, or when they're busiest or establishing when they're busy um, can be even a challenge as far as network metrics go. AIRM kind of solves that uh, because we're monitoring up to 14 days of data. Um, and I'll give you a for instance. Right now, if you uh, anchor your network and you say, hey, look, I only want to run RRM twice a day, uh, that's going to be at midnight uh, and then again at, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, you're going to get the last 10 minutes of data uh, into that calculation at midnight and 8 a.m. Uh, today on a controller-based system uh, because that's all the data storage that we have. And so, so Jim, what, how does that impact like the decisions that you see RRM make? You know, how, how do you make better decisions now you've got more data? Well, we make better decisions now that we've got more data because I can actually analyze that data, um, establish what the busy times are on the network, uh, and contrast that to the less busy times on the network, which allows me to make better, uh, better choices for channel and power. It also lets me make those adjustments uh, at midnight if you're sensitive to, to anything changing during the busy hours. I can make less critical changes or minor optimization changes uh, well after hours because I can track that sort of thing. And it won't be made on just the last 10 minutes of data. It'll be made on the analysis of the data that we're looking at. That's cool. So like one of the, I know when I deal with my customers, they, they often wonder why we have to tailor RRM in a controller. And I often give them this story that RRM, you know, Cisco don't know if it's going to be a nursery or a manufacturing plant or a university or hospital. And so RRM, like, it's one size fits all. And, and so we have to tailor it. So, so it feels to me like the, the AI, part of AI RRM, is going, to, is going to massively reduce the amount of tailoring that we need to do to these networks now, right? Because, because, it, because the AI stuff is going to be able to make much better decisions than, than, than we ever could in the past. You just hit the nail on the head with that. Uh, you know, in RRM, we, we giggle, but we, we always configure for the worst uh, and hope for the best, right? Because it's a precious resource and we're, it's got a reuse rate on it. And most, most networks now are at a density in five gigahertz that requires that we reuse channels. Um, and so if you truly get um, Black Friday scenario is the one that we used to look at. And I remember a lot of retails used to say, but we have one day a year where I've got 5,000 people under this network uh, and the rest of the year, I have 100 people under the network. Can you sell me that 5,000-person network just for that day? Um, and, and the answer is no. We, we kind of have to build for the worst. We also have to configure for the worst, right? That may not be an optimal configuration uh, for a space where 100 people are using the network. 
um, year round. But sure enough, if I've got two days where you're going to have 5,000 people in there, either somebody needs to configure for that or it needs to be configured for that up. So what you're saying there, Jim, that uh, I can plan ahead, like a few months ahead, this uh, holiday or something with the ARRM. I don't want it to do anything in, uh, in this part of time, ahead of time. And I can also know what it wants to do or any historical data we can view or is it just blind the customer shouldn't know what it does it should, uh, should just work or do we have any yeah let me unpack that in order um so yes theoretically i could say we want a special configuration on a given date that's not something that's built into it today um, i don't have that much reaching calendar what i do have is a selection for busy hour sensitivity um, first, we're going to analyze the data. We're going to tell you when your busy hours are uh, based on the network metrics, right? So when your network gets busy, you're busy. Um, even, even if you say, well, you know, we don't open until 8 a.m. and we're closed promptly at 6 p.m., we might analyze and say, yeah, but the network stays busy right up until about 9 p.m. or, or 10 p.m. based on the analysis. Um, so that's some of the things that will come out. We'll send insights uh, out to the dashboard uh, and and say things like, we think your busy hour needs to be adjusted, or we think you could benefit from a higher TPC threshold. It's all designed to help the user uh, understand why we're asking for something and how to change that. Now, getting back to the busy hour sensitivity, that is, uh, if I had to make an, uh, an analog, if you were familiar with the client, um, client preferences, uh, we could say that a network was hypercritical and needed to be optimized all the time. So just if you see we need to make a channel change, go make a channel change, right? Uh, the other end is we optimize it for user connectivity. Um, so performance to connectivity is kind of that scale. Uh, and your sensitivity, if you say, you know, connectivity, um, unless it's a major outage like an EDR or M event or, or something like that that's going to impact an AP uh, immediately like a wholesale, uh, we'll defer those changes until uh, after hours or after that busy hour. The other thing I think you asked for is, you know, what do you see? Is there a dashboard? You betcha. Um, in uh, DNA Center, uh, and this this was really uh, a great opportunity for me, uh, somebody finally said, well, what widgets do you want? What what would you need to look at? And, uh, and they actually... Um, let us go build those, which was an amazing process working with, uh, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to work with uh, interface uh, engineers, but uh, we had a really, really good one. Most of those meetings were at night and we'd be perfectly comfortable with the interface we were looking at. And she would ask a simple question and three of us would look stupid and like, huh, been thinking about that for two months. That never came up. <laughs> So I have a it's, gym widget in DNA Center. Uh, yeah, well, we've got several, and I'm I'm pretty cool. proud of it. I it's hard to show on radio, but uh, it it dives down with a high level uh, system overview of, and it's specifically for RRM's health. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar. Some some of the listeners may be familiar with the wireless config analyzer uh, and the health metric that has has built up uh, over the years for an AP's RF health. Uh, but we actually used that algorithm uh, to develop the health metrics that we're using in uh, AIRM. So, and that that's a cool thing because if you run your um, text files the way we used to out of the controller, which are getting huge now with 6,000 APs, uh, if you run that through the parser, 
um, your health score will match what you're seeing out of AIRM. Um, so it's a consistent health metric and how we're evaluating that. Uh, tax been using it. Escalations has been using it as well as customers I've trained to use it. Hey, Jimmy, you touched on something a couple of minutes ago in the middle of that answer um, where let's say we've we've got something set up and we we don't want RRM to make an adjustment or whatever. And we've got that ticked off. But it sounds like you said um, AIRM can come back and say, hey, we see this in your RF. We need to make these changes. We're, we're suggesting this to you. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Sure. Um, the insights are fairly rudimentary. This is this is still a fairly new product. The uh, the next task that I have is is looking at this data and coming up with some other cool insights, which we've got some real good ideas on. When that insight comes up, um, let's say it's uh, for TPC transmit power control, right? Uh, and what we're seeing is evidence that we've got. You know, low SNR on clients. You know, generally there's a there's a malaise. <laughs> you know, uh, what you see when you don't have enough power. We've evaluated the co-channel interference, and we think you can bring up your TPC threshold by three or six dB. We'll tell you that um, that we feel like that needs to be changed. Now you get a choice at that point in time whether you want to go make those config changes. If you do that, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the walkmes we've got in, in DNAC. It will walk you right over to the AIR profile. Um, it will lead you to the correct place to make the changes, uh, tell you what it is currently set at, why we think it should be higher, uh, and what value to set that at. Um, so assuming that you follow that, um, and you don't just, you can choose to ignore the insight um, as well and, and put it on the back burner. Uh, but if you go through with that, then you get an opportunity to schedule that for later or to implement it right now. So it's, it's really designed to identify issues or things that we're seeing in the data um, and then lead you through um, that resolution, uh, always hopefully giving you, um, like you see in the dashboard too for channel changes, giving you the reason why we think this and why we think what we're going to do is better. Um, what's coming in the next release is a simulator. So if I make a suggestion on a config change, um, then using the same dashboard, depending on what it is, there's only so many things we can simulate. But based on the data, uh, if you make that change, we can show you in the dashboard what scores are going to improve based on the simulation in the background. And that is really cool. It kind of also sounds like you're trying to... <laughs> no, sorry, just speak. <laughs> Mike? Uh, I was saying, it sounds really cool and also kind of like you're trying to take my job. But, you know... <laughs> well, we're trying to take mine too, but, you know, fortunately, I'm a little closer to retirement than you are. I'm sorry. <laughs> But interesting they said that, Jim, uh, you can simulate something, but if you get a choice, like you need to up the 3 dB on six access points in different places in a huge building. And you you just, the uh, customer just, yes, I believe this is the right thing. I just press yes and do it. Do we get some analytics after that this was actually a good choice that, uh, or yeah, something, uh, or is it that you can regret it if it went worse? Well, um, first off, the minimum... Uh, the minimum granularity on this is building level um, right now. There is uh, there's another feature coming in that lets me, and, and I know what you're talking about. If I got six APs or I want to configure a high density area, that's kind of a departure. Um, so I, I have one AIRF profile uh, that I can apply at a building level now. Um, the algorithms are different. Um, if I'm seeing low SNR, uh, then I expect TPC to raise up the power. And the TPC argument would be if I want to raise the power up, but you set the threshold too low, right? So it, 
it will allow that. And then in so doing that, that will address the six APs where I see I have a problem if I just raise that threshold across the building because uh, TPC is self-limiting. It, it won't raise the power up where it doesn't need to raise that power up. That's a backwards yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank so you. We talk, we talk about RRM making these decisions. You know, We talk about changing transmit power and, and channels and stuff. For, for the folks that are maybe less familiar with RRM, is it worth running through the other decisions it can make? You know, wh wh what can you expect Ooh. to see change in a wireless sign controller when, when RRM is making its decisions? Yeah, I love to start from when the earth cooled and we only had three channels and 2.4 gigahertz to coordinate. <laughs> <laughs> and, but if you think about it, and, and this is what's, as a geek, what has blown me away with RRM is how well it has handled changes. And yes, you're, you're absolutely right, Mike. You, you do have to tune this, right? Um, and, and you guys know that. I got to tell it about high ceiling. It's basic RF stuff, but it, you kind of have to localize it uh, to the building. That notwithstanding, we've gone from coordinating three channels to five gigahertz uh, and doing this in every regulatory around the globe to 40 megahertz channels, 80 megahertz channels, uh, now 160 and 320 coming down the line. We've got DBS as an algorithm that will dynamically change the bandwidth um, or the channel width as you need it. Um, roaming has begun. The one thing that has remained the same in RRM since the beginning uh, is that neighbor message, that, that sounding that we do on the network. And then literally everything else is derived from that uh, and other sources to make these decisions. Um, so... It's become incredibly complex. That was the idea behind AIRM. In fact, the first presentation I did on this had this game controller um, that literally every bit of space had been covered by some button. Um, and it fairly represented the current RRM because we've, we've got all these things bolted on. So AIRM's got a clean dashboard. Um, and the intention is to keep the user back from, from some of that. Um, like we like to say, when you go into a wireless design that's evolved, it's like, what would this look like if we did it on purpose? Um, it, it's a different question because uh, you're not you're not back revving or or bolting on to things. The algorithm itself, um, the algorithms have stayed pretty much the same. How we're analyzing the data and implementing that is what what AI brings in. You're saying channels, three channels, and then you have five gigahertz. What about six gigahertz? Yeah, that 16. was a, a lot more yeah. channels, huh? Yeah, <laughs> especially for you. Now in Norway, we just have unit five. Um, yeah, but we still have three 160 or two yeah. built on sideband interference. Um, yeah. So what about we, that? We just, um, there's a lot of decisions to make there. Uh, uh, 6E itself is a completely new technology. Um, and, and we, when we introduced Wi-Fi 6, um, that was, when I read that spec the first time, to me, it said, what's wrong with Wi-Fi? Okay, let's fix it. Um, that's how revolutionary that's that approach or OFDMA was in my mind to Wi-Fi. Um, answered a lot of long time problems. 6E answers the problem of, of spectrum uh, and efficiency, right? I, I got 1200 megahertz here. So on the bright side, yeah, we got a lot more space to move uh, and, and branch out. We don't have backward compatibility to, uh, to worry about, which is our legacy networks have been dragging us down forever. Um, with 6E though, I got 1200 megahertz of spectrum. 
So what comes up there is who's going to use it? How do we get them to it? We've got a, a band selection challenge again. Um, and then you've still got legacy devices uh, that you've got to operate or some that are probably going to work better in legacy uh, in certain scenarios if there's a lot of legacy going on. So there's a lot of decisions that need to be made now. Uh, regulatory got simpler, actually, with, with 6E because right now, at least, I've got two primary uh, models. I've either got the Uni 5 only model, uh, which you're enjoying, um, or I've got, uh, you know, 5, 6, 7, and 8, the whole 1200 megahertz, which we already see some indication folks that have, uh, you know, gone through and said, okay, we'll do the 500 megahertz, uh, already got stuff back on the books and they're looking at the whole 1200 megahertz, doing the studies that they need to do to figure out what it would take to clear that out of the way. Um, okay, cool. So RRM, RRM's, in the short term, I've got a lot more places to put APs in 6 gigahertz, so I don't have to worry about co-channel interference yet. Um, but I've got spectrograms of 5 gigahertz in a hospital that had not a single operating AP in it. Um, and that is way over now. Yeah, and I mean, RM is still going to be hugely important because like you're talking about with 6E, you know, if you're not WPA3 compliant, you're still on 5 gigahertz. And, you know, for us in a big healthcare environment, we've got a lot of stuff on 2.4 only still because medical devices don't work with, some of them don't work on even the 5 gig spectrum. So, so AIRM still has a huge place. You can't just throw a spectrum at us and expect all these problems to go away that RRM is resolving. So for five, well, okay. So we're, we're in AIRM today, the services that are being offered are DCA, the channel algorithm, TPC, power. DBS for dynamic bandwidth selection, uh, and FRA. And FRA, uh, when we talk about RRM uh, and 6 gigahertz, FRA is going to be responsible for uh, configuring uh, flexible radios in the future. Because one of the things, just like you said right here, right now you've got a lot of 5 gigahertz out there. It's, it's mostly all legacy. At some point, there's going to be a tipping point where we go to 6 gigahertz. So FRA even plays into that. Um, so yeah, it's going to be hugely important moving forward. Um, you also mentioned 500 megahertz spectrum, dynamic bandwidth selection. Um, you're, you're at, oh, from memory right now, I think it's 14 channels. If you're doing 40 megahertz, uh, in five gigahertz, which is probably, uh, likely, uh, but you can benefit greatly from 80 megahertz. I mean, look at 6E, you get a Wi-Fi six, uh, you know, efficiencies, you don't have to back up to a Wi-Fi 5 ever. You don't have to do anything that, you know, lets all the other users on the network that aren't Wi-Fi 6 know. So you've got extremely efficient management level uh, traffic uh, coupled with the efficiencies of Wi-Fi 6 uh, and a relatively low noise of 6 gigahertz. So you think that the ARM will be quite easy, uh, the calculation, uh, versus 5 and 2.4? Um, for 6 gigahertz? I <laughs> It's going to be a while before we have enough traffic in 6 gigahertz to make it a complex uh, calculation, I think. Uh, but it will come, and and sooner than you think. Uh, you know, I'll tell you what, what do you think, uh, and you probably got a better idea now, but what do you think the Wi-Fi 6 penetration is out there in the market? How many users are on Wi-Fi 6? I have uh, some, some uh, data on it, on just Wi-Fi 6. Uh, it's yeah. not so much. Whenever a new iPhone is released, everybody buys it. Then yeah. you see it is that it goes up. So if the iPhone comes with six gigahertz, 
No, no, I was talking of Wi-Fi 6 just as a comparison, not 6E. Yeah, not so much. Yeah? My home is two clients. In your... Well, see, that's the thing. We we missed 2020 and 2021 for the obvious reasons. Uh, and, and one of the things that we watch, I get to a lot of shows, um, and Cisco sponsors a lot of shows and, and events. Um, we also do a lot. Higher Ed is a great source. Um, you know, after... After the holiday season, you guys see like a 25% bump in MAC addresses for all the kids' toys that come back to school. But we usually, you know, look at those environments and the percentage of traffic kind of as a prognostication of what's happening in the general market. Um, And when we came back and first started getting active in the U.S., uh, a couple of the schools that were starting to get active and at least one sporting venue um, and this is the one that, sh- that shocked me. Uh, they were at 50 or 55% Wi-Fi 6 capable clients. So we missed two years of Wi-Fi 6 advancing. Uh, you know, it was out of the eye. It was in everybody's home, right? We couldn't get them all together on a network we could measure it on. Uh, and then lo and behold, we were at 50 or 55%. And that was in two years. So that's an amazing ramp. Um, and, and I think Wi-Fi 6E... May not be as fast, but I would not be shocked if we had a significant number of users in the next two years. So I have two things now, a little bit to go back now first. So now you can just a little bit uh, short joke So now you can finally see that OFDM is actually working. Now that you have a lot of people in a big area that you can actually see it. So that's cool. Um, but I've taken a little bit back now regarding the ARM. I just want you, uh, you told me a little bit about it, the FRA. And can the ARM disable radios, put it in monitor mode? If you have APIs with dual 5 gigahertz, do you think to, they can turn one of them off, switch one of them and turn the other one off if they think that's better, for example? Yes. Um, it, it can do everything that FRA does today, and it can do it with a lot more historic data. Hey, Jim, so um, what kind of infrastructure do we need to run AIRM? What's the hardware we need in our environments? Um, so AIRM right now uh, is, is being facilitated through um, Cisco's DNA Center uh, and under the Assurance on-prem appliance. You need a minimum of 17.7. It's C9800. Uh, is required the uh, uh, the catalyst controllers. Uh, you do need to have an on-prem DNA C lights uh, appliance. Um, you also need the DNA Advantage license, so there's no additional licensing um, or anything. And then that DNA center subscribes to Cisco's AI Analytics Cloud, which is where the RRM algorithms actually run. Um, so those are those are the components that get you in business. Um, you, you sign up for that AI account, you turn on RRM, uh, it pushes new AI RF profiles down to the controller, and you're in business. And you said no additional licensing then? No additional licensing. Uh, music to my ears. So so I guess your view then, Jim, is that it'd be pretty easy for people to adopt AI RRM. You know, the, the first question is going to be, how do I get from a regular RRM to, to AI enhanced, right? Uh, it sounds like that's going to be a pretty straightforward process. Yeah, from a site perspective, and, and RRM has always been architected by necessity um, to have an RF group leader, right? If you remember back in the day when a dense controller was 25 access points, um, you know, if you were in higher ed and you had 150 access points, you had to coordinate multiple controllers. 
Um, and all of that data needed to be centralized in a single database. So that was the concept of the RF group leader. Um, the algorithm had built in automatically selecting an RF group leader or failure scenarios where the RF group leader goes away and a new one needs to be, uh, you know, in tune. AIRM runs as the RF group leader to the controller. So if you're on site, the only way you would know that you're running AIRM on a controller is if you take a look at the RF group leader. And the RF group leader is going to tell you it's remote. Um, and the IP address of that RF group leader is going to be the IP address of your uh, DNA uh, center appliance. So very, very easy uh, to get on board uh, with it. And then the amount of data that you get out of it, like I said, we're, we're monitoring everything. I, I had to educate a lot of people in interfaces about why that's important to me as an RF engineer. Uh, but we really good data. I, I think you're going to like it. And, be and because it's using the RF group stuff, <clears> then like it doesn't matter if DNAC fails, right? Or if a WAN link fails or what have you, everything still keeps working, right? That is the ultimate beauty of it. Yes, because if I don't hear from the AI cloud for 20 minutes, um, and it's a runtime of every 30 minutes uh, when you go to the cloud, that is that is another difference because right now by default we're 10 minutes. But if I don't hear from that, uh, that AI cloud uh, for 20 minutes, the controller rolls over and becomes its own group leader. The RF profiles that you're going to be running under have already been pushed down to the controller. Um, and you can assume reasonably well that it's already been optimized. Um, in fact, you probably have the insight that says this site is as optimal as it gets, which after that, it becomes boring old RRM again. Um, <laughs> there's just nothing to talk about or do. So yeah, it's a seamless failover. You wouldn't even know that you failed over. And when the cloud comes back, it'll roll right back onto the cloud. Do you have any real world examples of using AI RRM in big events? So you might remember that Mobile World Congress was like the first really, really big event that, uh, that this industry had. Uh, and that was back in January, well, it's February of this year. Um, and that was over in Barcelona. We ran the press area on AI RRM on an isolated controller. Um, the press area had between five and 700 users in it daily. Uh, and this was members of the press. So it was electronic uh, media, a lot of upload activity out of there, several gig uh, uploads coming out of that room. Um, and we thought that was pretty bold, uh, but, but we wanted to put it into uh, an environment where it was really challenged, which large convention center, it's very challenged. Uh, the media spaces, are somewhat isolated from the main halls, but we could still in 2.4, I saw somewhere close to 125 or 130, uh, not rogue devices, but other 2.4 gigahertz APs that uh, were definitely loud enough to interfere. Um, but the algorithm performed flawlessly. Uh, it, it optimized what could be optimized. My own metrics on co-channel interference from the network that was being managed in there we drilled it down to zero. FRA shut down enough 2.4 gigahertz to make it uh, make it usable. The only thing I had to adjust up or manually change uh, was the high ceiling. Um, it it had uh, it was what six or seven meter ceiling, uh, and all of the APs were mounted on the ceiling uh, eye models uh, on the ceiling. Um, so I had to tweak TPC manually. Uh, but we talked a lot about that afterwards, about how we could uh, even make it smart enough to do that. So that means you have it with uh, the antennas, external antennas, that you can uh, 
not, I don't remember the name of the antenna that you manually shift how you will want it to. No. <laughs> okay. Not no, there no, 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 no. <laughs> no, we just, we just, uh, I just, you know, I, I threw 3DB more onto TPC power because I, I went through with the survey and said, yeah, we're not getting enough power to the floor. So I just, I biased it uh, in the AIR profile. Uh, but I was trying to do it without touching any of the knobs. Um, you know, just give it a good starting config. Um, so there's been a lot of learnings on that. We've had it, uh, we've had it on a couple of sites uh, running, and I've got my first site that I brought up on it, uh, which is UBC, uh, University of British Columbia up in Canada. Uh, great, great partner in this. Uh, they have been uh, testing it now. I want to say going back six months, uh, and we're adding on uh, more buildings on their campus uh, all the time. So they're they're loving it. What I've seen is that I don't I don't see any difference in RRM. It runs great. I fully trust the algorithms at this point in time. Um, so I'm pretty confident on it. We're going to be running it at Cisco Live as well, um, which is is not something. Uh, we're usually uber, uber cautious uh, around Cisco Live, but we're going to be going to Cisco Live as well. Um, Will it then show uh, the dashboard uh, so people can see what is happening was not ready yet? You should stop by the booth. I'm not coming, so you need to <laughs> send me a picture. <laughs> I can do that after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I can do that after. I'm sure we're going to yeah. take some opportunities, but yeah, we're putting a little over 200 APs on it. Um, in the, uh, the, the entire hall is, is one long hall with world of solutions. Uh, but back in the meeting village, uh, in the dining areas, we're going to, we're going to be running all AIRM on a separate, uh, DNAC server. So I got a quick question for you, Jim. So around scalability, um, you said it's like, this is like a per building thing. So we're going to have RF profiles per building. Um, we have hundreds of sites, um, how many RF profiles can a single instance of AIRM actually run? Uh, well, that's the beauty. Your instance of AIRM is that building. So you can make your life really complicated and you could do an AIRF profile for every single building if you want to, but there's nothing says that you have to. I mean, you know how this works. You've got, you know, usually three or four functional areas that you need, you know, to tweak an RF config around. You know, high density, low density, common area, outdoors, um, you know, versus carpeted office. Um, so there's nothing that says you have to create a new AIRF profile. Each one of those buildings will be its own um, instance of AIRM, aware of other buildings, of course, for their influence, and we coordinate. But the instance is the building. And so at the risk of asking a dumb question then. How do we define a building? Are we, are we talking like RF site tags in a controller? Or are we talking like a- actual buildings defined in DNA Center? What's the... Actual buildings defined in DNA Center, the hierarchy uh, that exists within DNA, uh, where you talk global, site, building. Cool. So it's important people put the effort into that in, into that architecture then and, and build out their campuses. And... You, you, you have to at least have established a site. You don't have to load a map to it or, or do any of the really nice things that comes with that. But you do have to have the hierarchy. The other thing you got to be concerned about too uh, is it's a whole controller deal. I can only run one RRM uh, type per controller. I can't run it local um, as well as in the cloud because we we do need all of that data in the same database. So it could span multiple buildings um, for AIRM uh, because it's on a controller. 
But we've got stuff in the config that looks for that. If you try to throw a controller on that, you know, you have sites that you didn't select on it, it will clearly warn you. It won't, it won't just go ahead and make your Friday very complicated. <laughs> no, and they're, the Murphy boys have been so good about that in my career. Mike, you got a question? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, uh, I think I'm, I think I'm all tapped out of questions, actually. All right. Are we ready to I'm wrap? Just waiting to test it out. I'm gonna. That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm waiting excited. to give you the opportunity to do that. Reach out to me, private message me. We'll get you started. Um, if if we're not going to take it more, I thank you guys for having me out to talk about this today. It's one of my favorite subjects. Well, before before I wrap, Jim, is there any last comments you have before we close? Anything that we didn't cover that you're just really hoping to address? I don't think so. I think we covered the the gamut of it. Um, okay. I think the current release that's out there um, is mature. Um, I would encourage people to reach out um, and get engaged. This is coming out on a GA release of, of DNA Center uh, middle of next month. And come see us at Cisco Live. Uh, we'll be able to talk all about it and show you what's going on with it. All right. Well, great job, gentlemen. Uh, if you want to continue your learning journey uh, on today's topic, check out the links provided in the show notes below. And of course, weekly reminder, please subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio wherever you're listening to us to receive those weekly alerts. Uh, thank you for listening in. See you again next week. Uh-huh.